Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Mark 9, verses 38 to 50, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 to 50. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is the word of the Lord. We see in these verses the mind of Christ on the great subject of toleration in religion. The Apostle John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. The man was doing a good work without doubt. He was warring on the same side as the apostles beyond question, but this did not satisfy John. He did not work in the company of the apostles. He did not fight in line with them, and therefore John had opposed him. But let us hear now what the great head of the church decides. Don't stop him. Jesus said, No one who performs miracles in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. Here is a golden rule indeed, and one that human nature severely needs, and has too often been forgotten. Men of all branches of Christ's church are apt to think that no good can be done in the world unless it is done by their own party and denomination. They are so narrow-minded that they cannot conceive the possibility of working on any other pattern but that which they follow. They make an idol of their own particular ecclesiastical machinery and can see no merit in any other. They are like him who cried when Eldad and Medad prophesied in the camp, Moses, my master, make them stop. Numbers 11.28 To this intolerant spirit we owe some of the blackest pages of church history. Christians have repeatedly persecuted Christians for no better reason than that which is here given by John. They have practically proclaimed to their brethren, You shall either follow us or not work for Christ at all. Let us be on guard against this feeling. It is only too near the surface of all our hearts. Let us study to realize that liberal, tolerant spirit which Jesus here recommends and be thankful for good works wheresoever and by whoever done. 
Let us beware of the slightest inclination to stop and check others merely because they do not choose to adopt our plans or work by our side. We may think of fellow Christians mistaken in some points. We may fancy that more would be done for Christ if they would join us and if all worked in the same way. We may see many evils arising from religious dissensions and divisions, but all this must not prevent us from rejoicing if the works of the devil are destroyed and souls are saved. Is our neighbor warring against Satan? Is he really trying to labor for Christ? This is the grand question. Better a thousand times that the work should be done by other hands than not done at all. Happy is he who knows something of the spirit of Moses when he said, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. And of Paul when he says, If Christ is preached, I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Numbers 11.29 and Philippians 1.18 We see for another thing in these verses the need of giving up anything that stands between us and the salvation of our souls. The hand and the foot are to be cut off and the eye to be plucked out if they are occasions of falling. The things that are as dear to us as eye, foot, and hand are to be cast off and given up if they injure our souls, whatever pain the sacrifice may cost us. This is a rule that sounds stern and harsh at first sight, but our loving master did not give the rule without cause. Compliance with it is absolutely necessary, since neglect of it is sure way to hell. Our bodily senses are the channels through which many of our most formidable temptations approach us. Our bodily members are ready instruments of evil, but slow to that which is good. The eye, the hand, and the foot are good servants when under the right direction, but they need daily watching lest they lead us into temptation and into sin. Let us resolve by God's grace to make a practical use of our Lord's solemn injunction of this place. Let us regard it as the advice of a wise physician, the counsel of a tender father, the warning of a faithful friend. However men may ridicule us for our strictness and preciseness, let us habitually crucify our flesh with its affections and lusts. Let us deny ourselves any enjoyment rather than incur peril of sinning against God. Let us walk in Job's steps. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes. Job 31.1 Let us remember Paul. He says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. 1 Corinthians 9.27 We see in the last place in these verses the reality, awfulness, and eternity of future punishment. Three times the Lord Jesus speaks of hell. Three times he mentions the worm that never dies. Three times he says that the fire is not quenched. These are dreadful expressions. They call for reflection rather than exposition. They should be pondered, considered, and remembered by all professing Christians. It matters little whether we regard them as figurative and emblematic. If they are so, one thing at least is very clear. The worm and the fire are emblems of real things. There is a real hell, and that hell is eternal. There is no mercy in keeping back from men the subject of hell. Fearful and tremendous as it is, it ought to be pressed on all as one of the great truths of Christianity. Our loving Savior speaks frequently of it. 
The Apostle John in the book of Revelation often describes it. The servants of God in these days must not be ashamed of confessing their belief in it. Were there no boundless mercy in Christ for all that believe in him, we might well shrink from the dreadful topic. Were there no precious blood of Christ able to cleanse away all sin, we might well keep silence about the wrath to come. But there is mercy for all who ask in Christ's name. There is a fountain open for all sin. Let us then boldly and unhesitatingly maintain that there is a hell and beseech men to flee from it before it is too late. Knowing the terrors of the Lord, the worm and the fire, let us persuade men. 2 Corinthians 5.11 It is not possible to say too much about Christ, but it is quite possible to say too little about hell. Let the concluding words of our Lord ring in our ears as we leave the passage. Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. Let us make sure that we have in our hearts the saving grace of the Holy Spirit, sanctifying, purifying, preserving from corruption our whole inward man. Let us watch the grace given to us with daily watchfulness and pray to be kept from carelessness and sin, lest we be overtaken in faults, bring misery on our consciences and discredit on our profession. Above all, let us live in peace with one another, not seeking great things or striving for preeminence, but clothed with humility and loving all who love Christ in sincerity. These seem simple things, but in attending to them is great reward. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we have just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, although we should be firmly convinced in our own minds, do we think less of those doing gospel work because they disagree on other important but not gospel issues? Are we filled with pride or do we rejoice and pray for those other gospel ministries? Second, do we hear warnings like those of cutting off hands and tearing out eyes and ignore it? Or do we take fighting sin seriously? Do we think our liberty in Christ makes God soft toward the sin in our lives? Does this cause us to rightly fear the sins that cling so closely? And lastly, the doctrine of hell has been called a ballast that if missing means that many other doctrines are in peril with it. Are we ashamed of the doctrine of hell? Does it cause us to blush or are we tempted to soften sharp edges when talking to others?